morning, Soraya. Hi, Jeff. This is going to be a tough one. It is. It is. Um, yeah, it's hard to be chipper right now, but, you know, Jeff is usually got so much energy and I feed off of that. But um, this week we lost a really, really extraordinary person. Uh, as many of you probably know, on Saturday, what day was Saturday, Jeff? The 23rd? That sounds 24? about right. Yeah, sounds about um, right. Would help if I get it right, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it was the 23rd. On Saturday, the 23rd of January, uh, we lost Tom Stevens of a very storied solo career and a career well-known with the Long Riders and a number of other projects that he worked with. Um, but yeah, it's hard to see one of the good ones go. Yeah, very unexpected, very untimely. And I have to say personally, like getting older, as we were talking about before we started recording, I actually like going through the process of aging and just experiencing new things and getting older. But one of the things that I've noticed about getting older is I'm losing more friends and family and people that I know just because as it's well said, at some point in life, you get closer to the end than the beginning, right? <laughs> and um, yeah, so losing a lot of friends and family recently this i have to say sorry this is one of the tough ones for me yeah. this is a very very tough loss you know um and we welcome all of you you know listening if you want to share an anecdote a story about a favorite show or a favorite interaction with tom stevens please go to our facebook or instagram or twitter and share it with us we'd love to to hear your stories too because this is really one of the more interesting things, Jeff, about this is so many stories are being shared about Tom Stevens, about um, him personally, you know, a personal friendship or him as a musician or, you know, just a lot of things have been shared. So it's been really nice to see that. And uh, Jeff and I, when, when we found out about Tom's passing, uh, one of the things that we both kind of remark to each other is we were so glad that we had him on Jeff not once twice uh, we had him on the show and he was a and we were able to show our appreciation and love for his work um and and just talk with him for a bit and also hear him as a as a super fan <laughs> of the last when we were able to talk about the at that point unreleased um the infamous lost last album so we remarked it was so nice that we had a chance while he was here to tell him how much we appreciated him and share his work and share his thoughts with our listeners and we thought that would be a really good idea today um to let tom do the talking and jeff and i just go back to being fans so we are gonna replay our interview with tom stevens um, but before we do that, Jeff and I wanted to just as fans 
share a couple of favorite songs that Tom was featured on either in the Long Riders or solo. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agrubiar. Let's get groovy. All right, Jeff. So give me one of your picks. Okay. So I was trying to think of songs that were both meaningful to me and really highlighted Tom and was kind of relevant to um, the situation that we're in now. So um, I picked a song um, from his album, Home, Mm -hmm. which um, he sent us or sent me after this interview that we're going to share. And um, there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to pick a song from this. And this was his last full length album that he released. He released Sooner Later, which is many LP right. or EP, whatever. And um, so I wanted to pick a song from Home for a couple of reasons. I, I thought it was appropriate, the title of the album, Home, um, because not only talking about a physical home or um, a place where you're comfortable at, but it. I also think of it in a spiritual sense and Tom's at rest at home now. And, yes. um, and then uh, along those same lines, there's a, a song on the album called Away From the Great Cold City. And I think uh, in the lyrics, he says, I'm off um, away to the great cold city, away from the great cold city. And I thought it was appropriate that I believe that Tom's in a better place now um but on top of all that it's just a great song it's a really good song um it has a very beatles-ish vibe and it really shows off tom as not only like a lyricist and a singer but a musician as well and i forgot that i wanted to read uh there's little um little comments that tom wrote about each song and he says it best about the song Um, About Away From The Great Cold City, Tom says, about those damn recurring dreams that shake me awake in the middle of the night, I was waiting to pick up my son from school when the intro started playing in my head. Trashing the usual verse-chorus-bridge arrangement, I turned on the recorder and and went with whatever came out on the first pass. It captured the moment nicely, probably the longest recorded guitar solos ever. So... Starting about the the middle of the song starts guitar solos f- for the second half of the song, and he does it in a way where I think he's playing different guitars because they have different tones. So it reminds me of uh, when the Beatles had um, when they would do solos and it would be John Paul and George all switching off because they had each each solo part has a different vibe and a different tone. But anyways, it's just a great song, and it's actually tough for me to listen to because we've talked about how you're more of a a lyrical person and I'm more of a musical person and not only do the lyrics capture a lot of sentiment I think musically it's just it just feels very heartfelt to me something about this music just really resonates with me so for my first pick and remembering Tom there's so many that we could have went with but um yeah 
So probably one of the longest songs that we've played on our on our show, and um, certainly one of the longest guitar solos, as Tom said. But um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to start with "Away from the Great Cold City."
I don't know. I said, I see now I'm glad you told me about your impression of the guitar solo because I could definitely hear there was some variation in tone. I would never have picked it out by myself. <laughs> Thank you though. All right. How about for your first pick? Well, my pick is from um, a different uh, Tom Stevens album. It's called Another Room. And the track I picked is called Insomnia. Now, uh, that track recorded and produced by Jack Watterson. Yes. So, um, I, but what I like about this is Tom Stevens as a musician always was like an enigma to me because I always thought I could figure out what his musical influences were based on how he played. And this is me in my own head. And then like he'd blow me out of the water with something that I didn't think was typical of him or, you know, like maybe I just didn't imagine it that way. And this was one of those songs where, first of all, the guitar parts are freaking killer on this. Um, but it's a it's a really different vibe and that's why I like the song. So, Insomnia. Unbearably slow. It's time 
a good one it's got a little post-punk little punk vibe in there it's got a little bit of everything in there i don't know yeah i don't know a better way to celebrate tom stevens life than to listen to some of his creations it's i love this and i mean one of the one of the great things that happened despite or in spite of the pandemic was Tom Stevens put, you know, a majority, if not all, he put his discography on Bandcamp. Now, how that's going to be managed from here on out, I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking but, about that, yeah. But, um, and then, I don't know, Jeff, you're a little more plugged into the, you know, the availability of his solo work through other means like Discogs, eBay, and things like that. Yeah, it's spotty. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully the family will keep that disc- that discography available. I'm not sure, but um, you know, I when he made it available, that was one of that was one of the purchases I made, and I got like a very very sweet note from Tom's just thanking me, and I'm like who has the time to take out of their day to thank someone, you know, but like just about every person I've, I've purchased something from on Bandcamp has sent a note, like, thank you so much. Or, you know, just showing their appreciation. But this note from Tom Stevens was just, it was really special that he thought enough to just say, thank you for buying what was available. Yeah. he sent that to our little group chat that the three yeah. were in. And it was it was not just a thank you. It was very you could it was more than that. I I recall it being very heartfelt and very um there was a lot behind the appreciation. And it was, yeah, I th- when I remember when you purchased that and he sent that thinking that how cool it was that that you bought the whole discography and how cool <laughs> it was the way that he showed his appreciation. Yeah. And um some of that heartfeltness comes out in this interview that we're going to share again or that this episode that we're going to share again. yeah all right jeff uh, so what's your second pick okay of course i've got stories uh, there's a couple reasons, there's a couple reasons why i picked this particular track which is um bells of august is the track that i picked but i picked a live version um a couple things that came to mind while i was trying to think of a song that was a couple songs that were very meaningful to me 
besides just being great songs, I wanted to pick something that meant something to me. Um, this particular version is a live version from the Outlaw Country Cruise that they did um, on, what was it, um, January 31st, 2020. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, around this time that they were getting ready to do the show or they were doing the show, I was preparing um, your birthday message where I was reaching out to some of our listeners and getting birthday messages that I was going to compile together for you. Right. And I recall that um, it was about this time and I had reached out to Tom and I had asked him if he would do a birthday message for you, Soraya. And I remember, in fact, everybody that I asked was jumped on it immediately and said, oh yeah, yeah, I, I totally want to do this. And uh, he was one of those. But I remember him saying, the long riders are doing shows. We've got this cruise coming up. Call me on Friday and we'll knock out this message. <clears throat> and um, um, he sent me a couple messages in the meantime saying, you know, what they were doing, that they were on the road, that they were really busy. And then he sent me a message that morning. Okay, let's give me a call. Let's, I want to do this message for Soraya. So I called him and he's like, I haven't slept in so long. He's like, I'm so, which is funny because I'm on the heels of insomnia, but they were really busy. So he goes, Jeff, I'm so tired, but I, this is the time. Let, let's do this. So in oh, that man. message for you, you could hear how sleepy he was. <laughs> and um, it was just, it, sorry. Um, no. It just, it just reminds me of how cool it was having those moments. I, I, I'm not gonna pretend that I was good friends with Tom, I wasn't, but we we were able to share some moments together at shows um, and when, when we did our episodes. And that particular moment reminded me of around the Outlaw Country Cruise time when we were putting that together. So this- Okay, so I have to ask, how many pieces of Long Rider material do you have signed by Tom Stevens? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, probably not a whole lot, probably like half a dozen. One of which um, is the Sooner record, which was really cool because he signed the back and um, he didn't have an official release. He released it as a CDR. Right. So, so he signs it right on, the, ah. the, right on the CD itself, which I thought was cool. But some of the more important records to me, Native Sons and um, some of the other ones that uh, albums that I took. I actually, it's probably more like a dozen because I took a pretty big stack yeah. when when we went to see the show. And that's another reason why I wanted to pick a live version of Bells of August, because when you and I on October third, twenty nineteen, I believe is the show that we went to Roxy um, to see them, which is the only time that I've met Tom face to face. So that's another reason why I wanted to pick a live show is because of the special memories of us going to the Roxy and meeting Tom and a few of our listeners too. That was really cool. Yeah, That show was amazing That's in so many good. different ways. But um, one of the highlights of that show was when Tom switched from bass to guitar and sang the song Bells of August. Um, so I specifically wanted to pick a live version. And then lastly, and I'll let Tom speak for himself when we share the episode, when he was talking about writing Bells of August, I thought it was one of the most heartfelt moments that we've ever had, ever, out of all 115 episodes that we've ever had. That moment of him sharing the reason why 
and he wrote that song and what that song was about um, was an amazing moment and a moment where I always look back as something that was extra special for on our podcast. And um, so for all of those reasons, <laughs> I decided to pick Bells of August and it's a live version. And again, this is a live version um, from the Outlaw Country Cruise, January 31st, 2020. And um, I was going to cut off the intro with Sid doing his little spiel, but um, there's some kind of cool things in there. So we'll, we'll include um, Sid introing Tom's song. Musical, musical instruments again. Tom's going to play the electric guitar on a song he wrote called uh, The Bells of August, which is, in my opinion, because I know you're asking, was the best song on the Psychedelic Country Soul uh, album. Very proud of it. And on the bass guitar, who sometimes plays bass in bands back in his native Richmond, Virginia, Steve McCarthy will pick up the bass and play the bass guitar. While Greg is stuck there on the drums, once again, I'll get out of the way so you can see. He's pretty damn good looking. Greg Stoddard. My name's Sid Griffin. I've been combing my hair forward since 1965. Fighting male pattern baldness. And I need some help from some of you guys. What the hell are you doing up there?
sorry, I got really teary-eyed. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. That's a, it's a very powerful song. And I think, you know, when, uh, when you all take a listen, um, that comes through when Tom's talking about that one, that one song in particular. Yeah. Okay. So. Your last pick. My last pick is a song that Tom wrote and sings lead on on a different album, Two-Fisted Tales, and it's called A Stitch in Time. So um, Two-Fisted Tales from 1987. Um, Great song and just
Tom Stevens. Just a good, good person. And um, I know I speak on behalf of Jeff and myself. We want to send our thoughts and prayers out to Elaine Stevens and his children. Um, and to Tom Stevens fans everywhere, I think we're all feeling the same loss. And, um, but once again, you know, he's left us these beautiful pieces of work, things that we can go back to and listen. And I mean, also his bandmates in the long riders, uh, Sid Griffin, Stephen McCarthy and, and, and Greg, um, this has got to be a hard time for them too. Like just hearing, just hearing the banter, you know, of Sid and, and I go, all right. So I saw him, saw him twice. And uh, yeah, that's like a little time capsule here. And then, you know, we've got all the music. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. All right. Well, let's enough of us. Let's. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to shut up. Listen to Tom Stevens. Yeah. So this is all the way back to our episode number 20. Um, when we were t talking to Tom at this point about the album Psychedelic Country Soul, and then a little bit about some of his solo stuff as well. But um, anyways, we had recorded this in February of 2019, and we released it March 2nd of 2019. So this goes away back to our, our first conversations with Tom. But um, we thought we'd like to reshare this and um, hear, hear Tom's voice. Are you ready to talk about the Long Riders Psychedelic Country Soul album? I'm really ready to talk to Tom Stevens and talk about this new release. Yes, yeah, so we've had it for what, a week or two now. How have you been enjoying it? I really like it a lot. So this is going to be great talking to Tom about it after yeah. we've had a chance to listen to it. We talked to Greg, of course, before the album came out, and we'd only heard a couple songs then. But now that we've had a chance to listen to it, let's give Tom a call and pick his brain a little bit. I'd love it. Hello. Hello, Tom. This is Hi, Tom. This is Jeff and Soraya. Hello. Thank you for taking our call today. Yes, thank you for calling. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for our listeners who are checking in, uh, joining us today is longtime long riders, bassist and vocalist Tom Stevens to discuss the latest Long Riders release, Psychedelic Country Soul, which was released on February the 15th on Omnivore Recordings in the U.S. and Cherry Red Records in the U.K. We're going to be discussing some of the recent Long Rider reissues, Psychedelic Country Soul, as well as talking about his solo releases. Tom, we want to welcome you warmly to Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhymes. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me. I really like the podcast. Oh, oh, thanks so much. My heart is so warmed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Tom, you've been um, you've been high on our list of people we'd love to sit and talk with. So this is just a real joy to sit and talk with you today and pick your brain a little. Yes. It's great. So when we first started the podcast, of course, you were one of the people that we wanted to talk to right off the bat. And we were trying to plan when we could have you on the show. 
But when we heard news that the Long Riders were going to put out a new album in February, we decided to try to plan this as strategically as possible, have Greg come on before the album, and then have you come on the show after we had a chance to listen to it. So now that we've had a chance, we wanted to pick your brain a little bit about it. And we wanted to ask you if you could tell us and our listeners what your personal feelings were getting back together with the Longriders to record a studio album, which you hadn't done in 32 years since Two Fisted Tales. How was that for you personally, getting back together in the studio? Um, the actual act of getting back in the studio was surprisingly comfortable and actually a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, it kind of a deja vu feeling, actually, and uh, it was actually better in a lot of ways, as has been touring and some other things that we did uh, have done recently uh, have been better now than they were back in the 80s. And I felt we were a lot more comfortable, um, better exchanges of ideas, etc., but when uh, the album was first proposed, um, we had visited Larry Chapman's studio that he co-owns with Dr. Dre when we were in Los Angeles playing the Roxy and a festival there in Indio, California called Stagecoach, as well as, I believe, the San Francisco gig, etc. And, hey, guys, let's uh, go check out the studio and... It's like, okay, you know, sounds like fun. Nice, impressive studios. Good to see Larry Chapman again. He's an old friend. As you know, he worked with the Long Riders in the 80s. And, um, you know, maybe we'll record here sometime. It's like, okay, uh, that sounds cool, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of surreal when they had mentioned it, and I wasn't sure how we were going to pull it off, to be <laughs> honest. And then maybe... Three, I, I'm not sure. It was a few months before we actually went in the studio. We got the call where, okay, we're going to make a new album. Let's start submitting our material. So you, uh, <laughs> this is the first time in a little over 30 years. Wow. And I had some tunes that I had in various right now the way i write is more of an assembly line deal where i have um oh a part here i have the headlights over there i have the <laughs> exhaust pipe over there i have the uh, pistons over here and uh we'll see what par what parts fit in to uh make a really cool looking or sounding car in this case um so I had a lot of that kind of thing. Um, so I just you know, started sending in songs as everybody else did, which is a very interesting process. Um, that's, that's pretty much the way it happened. And as I said, the whole process seemed surreal. And actually going into the studio was where it got real. And actually got a lot more comfortable because there were, we're a little, little, you know, how are we going to pull this off? Uh, we haven't done this for a while. You know, how the song's going to fit. Everything fit really well. Ed Stacey, our producer, made us feel very comfortable. 
He got the best sounds and the best uh, takes out of us, as he was always uh, able to do. Uh, this one, Versus Two-Fisted Tales, which he had also produced, Ed Stasium had also produced. That thing, we did it, I mean, it took me about a week just to do the bass parts. Wow. Over and over, okay, you missed a note, over and over, okay, that's perfect now. This time, it was like we did three takes all together, I mean, we sang the vocals afterward, did some lead guitar playing afterward, did a little bit of layering, but uh, there's a lot of live in the studio uh, in this album. In fact, uh, it's pretty much like Native Sons in that category, and to an extent, State of Our Union, too, where we were more live in the studio. Uh, but Ed's just a master of getting it, getting our best sounds. He's a great guy. He, he you know, he's personable. He gets along with everybody. He respects the band. We respect his work. So, um, you know, it's great. Big love fest, you know. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that because when we spoke with Greg Souders, he said, this album is like a love letter to each other. And we, yeah. we, we really like that idea. And as we started hearing, you know, first we heard Greenville and the lyrics are so poignant and definitely these songs all sound really, really personal. And so we wanted to ask you about let it fly. I mean, we, we, uh, on a previous episode, when we spoke with Greg Souders, we, um, listened to and played the first single Greenville. And we also heard Molly somebody, and, but we want to ask you about let it fly. And this is a, one of a couple of songs that you wrote that they just, seem really personal and I want to just quote uh, a little bit of the lyrics flying way up high just makes it harder to fall down I always hoped she'd be there but she's not around she said make a wish and let it fly someone slipped away on falling blue jay in the distance keeps on in both Jeff and I, and we wanted to ask you, is there anything you'd like to share about either writing this song, or is there anything about this song that uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's just a fantastic song. Well, thank you. Um, I wish I could say everything came all at once, <laughs> or some kind of pretty story about it. One very interesting thing, I had the music 
already, in fact, it was on a demo um, a little while ago, just the music. And I'm sitting writing lyrics. I'm looking through old lyrics. Nothing's really working. And this happens sometimes. So uh, sometimes I use little tools uh, to come up with, to break through whatever kinds of blocks come up. In this case, it was a tarot card. Wow. And... uh, and uh, lo and behold, if you know anything about tarot, too, uh, it was a death card, right side oh. up. And uh, if you know anything about tarot, which is a great little divination tool to make decisions, I mean, people use it for for their uses, and I respect whatever anybody you know uses it for in this case it was basically to me a rebirth of a relationship that seems to have anybody in a long-term relationship has gone through as we go through in life just times when things just don't work out and a lot of times it's just you're going through rebirth, you're going through some kind of change, you're going through some kind of a a period in time that winds up being for the better for, in the case of a relationship for both people, as you will only know looking back. So looking back upon a relationship is the context of that death card in rebirth. Mm-hmm. So so when you think about, I use the bird because um, I'm sitting up in my studio and I have a little field in the back and I actually had a, a blue tra- a blue jay in the background. Wow. Oh, so it's like, okay, there's a, there's a lyric right there. <laughs> and, um, you know, and just check it from there. Wow. That's a great story, Tom. Thank you for sharing that with us. I know it's, difficult sometimes to to try to pin down what exactly lyrics mean because a lot of times it means different things to the listener so we appreciate that background behind that song we did want to ask you further about this song in that debbie and vicky peterson join in on backing vocals could you tell us whose idea it was to bring them in to sing backing vocals and how you felt about them singing on your song well um Sid originally asked me, as as we were reviewing each other's songs, he was saying, okay, guests, what guests do we want? And the first people that came to mind to me were Debbie and Vicky, just because of our our past relationship. (laughs) They're great people, and uh, everything they do just adds texture and beauty to the music, but edge as well. Uh, and they're just fantastic to work with. Sid is is, is kind of semi-famous. <laughs> if, if you weren't aware, Sid uh, and Debbie lived together platonically for years. They shared a house with a um, guy we used for sound and uh, and road crew detail and everything. Joe Stella, he was in there. Uh, several even Eric Burden stayed in that house for a little bit. Wow. <laughs> it's a story wow. in itself. Wow. 
Yeah, House on Norton in uh, in Hollywood. I stayed on the couch many a night <laughs> over there as well. Uh, but yeah, Debbie uh, Debbie lived there for quite a while. So it was not only great to see them, but I remember, you know, it's like, Tom, why don't you go in the studio, work out what you want to do with vocals. And I'll tell you, I never really felt like a vocalist between, you know, you and little the listeners i impersonate one <laughs> <laughs> fake until you make it right yeah. so i'm uh, so here i am acoustic guitar my song and there's debbie and vicky and it's like okay i'm i'm not gonna show that i'm intimidated i'm not <laughs> any of that kind of thing how did you do that and yeah i just you just do it you know you just okay first chord you know, first lyrics and everything. Um, and they're almost playful with the way they were going about. I think they sang along with each other to a, to the demo tape in the car because they had a little bit down, but you could tell they were playing with the different harmonies. They don't just do going a third up, going a fifth up, whatever the standard of, you know, harmony singing. They will play around, do counter melodies, land on a part, and then perfect it. And this this is all within seconds. And just being in the same room with that process with those beautiful voices is just fantastic, let alone them being old friends. I just, I just love that, uh, Tom, for us, it doesn't, uh, if you say you're impersonating a vocalist, boy, hats off. You're doing a great job. <laughs> because it really just, it, 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 your vocals are so heartfelt. Well, thank you. That's probably compensating for, nah, it's, it's just getting over. Uh, when I was a kid, I would try to sing, and there were all, all these other people that were, you know, chosen over me or... Or for whatever reason, I felt like I wasn't quite the vocalist, but um, it I was kind of thrust into it because, okay, I've got to do it myself. Okay, I'll do it myself, you know. Right. Well, we enjoy it. Yes. So just know we appreciate you as a vocalist as well as, as a writer. And uh, speaking of that, I want to piggyback on that. And talk about the fourth track on the album. It's a song that you co-wrote with Sid, All Aboard. Get the something's copied pretty Cause we're going for a ride Higher than the mountains With my best friends at my side With slaves work because I know you're in the US, you're on the East Coast and Sid's in the UK. So how did that yeah. collaboration work? 
to compose the song? Well, that was one of the songs I had top to bottom finished instrumentally. I had a tape of. In fact, that was one where I just set up a a little foot track in my studio, got out my Stratocaster, and basically I started it. As memory serves, I started it and played it top to bottom, and that's exactly the uh, the song structure and everything you hear on the record. I played guitar on the record. In fact, Stephen McCarthy plays bass on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I had that demo. It's instrumental, and I've, I've written Let It Fly, and uh, wait, can I think of some lyrics for this and Sid that very same day writes me an email hey you got any songs to finish like okay Sid (laughs) here's this song and here's another song and uh, he finishes both of them which we'll get to in a minute that that mystery second song but yeah he finished it he came up uh he sent me an acoustic guitar demo where he's playing the exact same chord progression and singing his melody and words. And it's like, Sid, this is great. Now, Slay the Dragon? He said, oh, come on. Let me have Slay the Dragon. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I was just messing with him anyway. <laughs> That's funny. So, Tom, you mentioned that you played your Stratocaster, and we know that you played lead on the song. to play guitar or bass? Well, when I write songs, I usually play guitar. Oh. Very rarely have I written songs that start with bass. They usually start with guitar. Uh, on stage, I played bass so much more than I played guitar that I'm more comfortable playing bass. And there are two different instruments. So it started... I started playing guitar when I was seven years, six, seven years old. Started lessons when I was seven. But uh, growing up in Indiana, in the fifth grade, they started me out on a big string bass. And uh, it got to the point where in high school, every I had uh, orchestra for first hour. So I'm ringing these tones out of these rather junky, uh, not very good shape string basses, but it was great practice because the first time, I remember the first time I picked up a bass guitar, this is easy compared to these uh, planks with telephone wires on them that comprised a string bass in school. Uh, Bass guitar in comparison was just really easy. So, um, and I love interfacing with drums too. I've always been fascinated by drums, although I don't play them very well. 
what about if we, um, I want to talk about what the Eagle sees. Another song that you co-wrote with Sid. Um, yes. Was the writing process similar to what you mentioned for All Aboard? Or, and should yes. I mention that this is another one where you play lead guitar? Which yes. we're assuming is the slide guitar part? Yeah, the slide guitar, and I also kind of beefed up the, uh, I played the rhythm guitar. Like the first guitar you hear, the da-da-da part is, uh, is me. I just have a different style from Steve and I have a different style from Sid. They all, they both have distinctive, uh, great styles. And, uh, I'm just happy I was able to add mine in too. Uh, but yeah, uh, to answer your question, very similar. I had the song on tape. Uh, Sid actually wrote the, uh, she's thinking of all the all the ones she loved. Not only the words, but he added that music. He added that bridge. Um, I went to B minor and A, and then went back to that E riff, E and A riff. If you know what I mean. So you guys almost did like a, a Lennon McCartney kind of thing on this one. Sounds like in that yeah. he came in with the bridge, much like Lennon would do with McCartney. That's very cool. Yes, this was, the, yeah, this is, by the way, the first time that I collaborated with with Sid in songwriting. I had collaborated uh, early on with Stephen on Wreck the 809 on Native Sons. Uh, from there, we didn't do a whole lot of collaboration, a little bit, but uh, I was mainly writing my own songs until this album. Wow. So What the Eagle Sees was the first collaboration with Sid? Uh, I think it was actually all aboard, and then we did What the Eagle Sees, but it was probably within the same week or two. Wow, wow. We knew we had to churn out a lot of songs in a very brief uh, time period, so we took all of them uh, that we thought had any, you know, had any long riders to them whatsoever and uh, put them in there. Wow, wow. Well, I think you guys did an awesome job. Yeah. We did. Thank one, you. We did. So we've been talking about the all the or some of the originals on this album. There's one cover version, and you guys tackled Tom Petty's "Walls." If I'm not mistaken, that's you singing the lead on the song. Yeah, it's a duet between Stephen and I. Oh wow! Oh neat. So how was it yeah. for you singing one of Petty's songs, seeing that he is, you know, passed away, you know, not too long ago? How was it tackling this song? Oh, it's great. It's a it's a great song. 
of this Tom Petty song even that more personal in that yeah. you guys had that inter personal interaction while you were recording. Yes, exactly. And that was, again, that was the last time that we'd recorded together. And we get back and there's those memories of Tom and also uh, Debbie and Vicky had worked with Tom Petty recently on a Music Cares Benefit Live show. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. So they had, they had some recent stories of uh of tom yeah. so we were talking and tom came up uh you know in our conversation with them when they were hanging out with us when we were recording let it fly and also when they sang on walls wow i, I that is just yeah i got chills listening to that i mean it's just a a really cool story you know there's an another song tom that 
uh, Jeff and I have latched onto, and especially certain lyrics, and that's Bells of August. Uh, You know, curiously, it's another song that you play lead guitar on. Um, But we wanted to ask a little something about the content and the inspiration. And uh, I do want to quote just a couple of lyrics. And so you sing in the song, neighbor gets his views from cheap TV news, words to keep us all apart. Mother just wants her son back home again to heal her broken heart. And they cannot hear what they will not hear. And then a little later on, who will tell the mother and father the news from very far away? After years of wait and worry, the child is coming home today. Once they fought for the illusion, many grudges from the past. Now they're looking to the future. The child is coming home at last. Who will hear the bells of August? Who will answer the call? When will people know the answer is not to answer them at all? Neighbor gets his views from cheap TV news Words to keep us all apart Mother just wants a son back home again To heal a broken heart And they cannot hear what they will not hear Sweet cinnamon In the air And they cannot hear What they will not hear Sweet cinnamon In the air Coming home today Once they fought for the illusion Many grudges from the past Now they're looking toward the future Child's coming home at last. So who will hear the bells of August? Who will answer to their call? When will people know the answer? This song is just really, it's moving. And we wanted to ask a little about the inspiration behind this song, writing this song. It was... Um... 
goes in answer to uh, what has been happening in America recently. It's been going on for a long time, but it's especially um, in the news, in the media. The media is making a lot of money on uh, uh, on coverage of a conflict that we have within our own families, within old friends that suddenly latch on to some things. What really uh, made me write that song was the, uh, the Charlottesville incident, uh, mm. the car attack. Um, it's, it's just a very sad thing. I don't, and I don't have solutions. I'm not a politician. Uh, but there's certain age-old things. I mean, I wrote, um, uh, for example, the Two-Fisted Tales song um, that <laughs> the Charlottesville thing. Sorry, I'm getting a little misty here, and no. I'm getting my own song titles. Um, the uh, I I wrote basically an anti-war song or whatever you want to call it on Two-Fisted Tales uh, that. The whole war thing. I mean, I I'm old enough, folks, to have a have had a draft number in uh, 1974. Wow! I was looking at going to Vietnam, wow. and uh, I have friends. I I have one uh, friend here locally who lost an older brother. Uh, he was drafted, and uh, within just a few months, he stepped on a landmine and was blown to pieces wow. in Vietnam. That's terrible. Um, you know, we can be, we can have our differing opinions, but I don't think anybody wants war, either in another country or at our own dinner tables over Thanksgiving. Right. And I think there are people that have an interest in keeping us apart. That, uh, and that's kind of what the song is about. You know, that that the conflict. It doesn't provide any answers. I wish I had answers. I wish there were answers within the song. But uh, I just I wanted to say something about it. It was too important not to say something about it. The Fish in Time is the song that uh, that I had written on Two Fisted Tales. Oh, okay. Uh, that that had the uh, the sort of impatience with war and uh, and the eighties uh, yuppies uh, being in favor of of war and, uh, and and that whole thing. I'm not. I again, I don't want to get real political. It's but this is. The thing that affects really everybody in the world when we live under governments that may not represent us, you know. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I will say in this song in particular, Tom, with um, Bells of August, that you did a really good job of addressing the the subject of personal worry and loss and that kind of thing, and bringing that situation into the home, you know, with the mother and the father. And you did a, a beautiful job of doing that. Thank you. And those are the people that we need 
to listen to the most are the mothers and fathers of these people. Again, I was talking about Thanksgiving tables uh, where it affects the family. Uh, same kind of thing. There could be, could be war with guns. It could be war with words. Uh, but there's there's a lot of conflict going on right now. And uh, when you want to look at the news about it, it seems like they have an interest in perpetuating it as opposed to stopping it. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing that, us together. That helps their business model, I would say. Yeah, it's making them money. Well, on a lighter note, but still talking about Bells of August, I wanted to mention that the tone on the the lead guitar part, that tone is amazing. It's just beautiful. Europe, taking you through almost the entire month of April, and 
for our listeners, those tour dates are available on the band's website, which is thelongriders.com. So T-H-E-L-O-N-G-R-Y-D-E-R-S.com. You can find the tour dates. Um, if you're in Europe, and you guys may have a chance to see the band. I will happen to be in Italy the same time that you guys are, Tom, so I'm going to try to see if we can squeeze in a show while we're in Italy, so that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. So yeah. we're actually looking forward to an announcement of U.S. dates. Um, when we talked to Greg, there it sounded like there could be something coming up in, in the fall. Is it too early for any kind of announcement for U.S. dates? Yeah, definitely too early. There have been some possible, uh, some possible dates coming up, some possible cities, but nothing is booked. So I don't want to jump the gun and say, yeah, we're going to play uh, America in September or whatever. You know, okay. it could happen, and uh, we're hoping it does. Yes, and we're hoping it's where. The most people that want to see us can see us. Nice. So, so just stay posted to the website. Exactly. There will definitely be more tour dates posted very soon. There's uh, if, if the emails are true, there are definitely more dates coming up after this April tour. This nice. Year. Are you so, Tom? Are you looking forward to the European dates? Oh yeah. I love playing live. I love touring. Um, it's it's just something that uh, I feel really lucky to still be able to do. I talk to people that just they're local musicians or regional musicians, and how can you do these all these dates in a row? And uh, and I add plus, and we do. Uh, a lot of interviews, a lot of press, and we have to rehearse. To, we want to try a new song, so we, you know, sit around and, and sound check or whatever. There's a lot more than just playing the shows, but um, somehow energy, all that other thing just comes naturally. It's a perpetual motion kind of thing, and we all love to do it. So, and so far, we. We're all getting along great. We're all, uh, we haven't changed much. <laughs> really. But uh, we like that. It's it's familiar territory, you know. And, uh, you know, we get along just fine. There's just enough tension in the band to actually propel that perpetual motion. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a positive thing. I think it's it's helped us a lot more than it's hurt us, especially now that we're older and more mature. <laughs> Neat. I like that. I like that. Enough tension to propel forward. Um, Tom, we wanted to uh, switch gears a little bit and ask you about some of the recent reissues. And we wanted to start with uh, Final Wild Songs, which was released on Cherry Red Records in uh, 2016. Um, the box set is a collection of most of your studio recordings, as well as some demos and a 1985 live performance. And uh, we understand that you played a key role in bringing this to fruition as the project curator. Could you talk to us and our listeners about the process of putting this together? Yeah, the process was, uh, it, there was 
one person who wrote one of the songs on one of the albums that had asked to leave off that song. And I was talking to another band member. I said, okay, this, I know we're going to get flack over this, but uh, it's kind of like when Lennon did Two Virgins, we have to support him <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether we agree with the decision or not. Uh, the other songs, I just wanted to make sure, like, for example, there's a, there's a very good Native Sunset on Prima Records, Sid's label in the UK, uh, that I also curated, that has a lot of the stand, now standard Native Sons era songs. So I wanted to come up with some, some extras, like, uh, for example, some acoustic songs that we did at McCabe's. Mm-hmm. We did a few of those shows in 1984, never to repeat them. We never took that particular uh, flavor of our act out on the road uh, or that set of songs. So I wanted to make sure that was included. Uh, I wanted to make sure there was a Sir Doug song, and we had a really good sounding version of The Rains came from CBGB's when it was open back in '84. So that was a shoe in. Uh, there were a lot of. I'm the guy who was. I I always collected other people's bootlegs, even when I was a teenager. <laughs> so when I started, when we started touring, and we actually had soundboards, and I'd see cassette decks for. Later on, when we do FM shows, I would go to the FM truck that was parked out back and said, hey, can I have a tape of this after you're done, you know, after the show's done? Oh, yeah, sure. And I'd hang out and shoot the breeze with them for a little bit and come back after the show. And sure enough, I would have a really nice sounding live recording of the Long Riders. So over the years, I just kept them and luckily most of them survived all my moves over the years <laughs> and uh Sid says okay what do you have and okay I've got quite a bit and here it is you know in fact I kept asking Sid uh what do you think do you think another song would be more appropriate here or whatever he said ah. you know I'd rather have it, it, he left me in charge of that box so if there are uh you know problems with the extras or whatever you can ask me about them (laughs) (laughs) well i'm curious tom you mentioned that a band member had asked that a song be left off of final wild songs are you referring to still get by yes i am Uh, yeah my my bandmate told you heard it here directly (laughs) and i think first yeah, my, we've my, been skating around that issue for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, and I, I still, it's still a big mystery. Why? I have no idea, and one could speculate all day about it. I have no idea why. Wow, it's such a great song. It has such a garagey feel to it. Um, yeah, my bandmate Tori Troutman yeah. was the one that pointed it out to me. He goes, "You do realize that still get by is missing from that?" And I was like, "Oh." It is. Why? Why is that? It's such such a great song. But just a little girl, she's not too cool. I got 
You and so it was originally. I know. I had thought. I had said to Sid, "This is a tragedy." You know, uh, Kim Shattuck from the Mutts once told me that that was one of the songs that she first learned when she was first learning how to play guitar. Yeah, that's that's like, oh, wow. That's the same for me too. Yeah, yeah, it was one of the first songs I learned to play on guitar. So in, in a well, I, I think I've I've been using my influence and we've been using our influence to try to get it back in the live set and we've been playing it uh, since the the box set came out as well just every once in a while so wow so so you, I, I guess the powers that be are warming up to it but you did have to honor the request not to put the song on the compilation correct yeah. Although somebody in another band just said, look, Tom, next time just say, oh, yeah, we'll leave it off and then put it on. <laughs> <laughs> Ask for forgiveness later, right? <laughs> wow. So who's right? You know, I don't know. And I can't. It's too late to fix it now. So I guess we'll have to wait for the next box. But... <laughs> you know, if you must, give us another one. <laughs> Take <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> you know, Tom, uh, we wanted to also ask about the reissues of State of Our Union and Two-Fisted Tales. Um, both were released as three CD box sets in November of 2018. Both are filled with demos, live performances, and as with Final Wild Songs, you were part of compiling all of this material for these releases. And so has the process just been similar for uh, all of these different uh, collections that you've been curating? Or was yeah. it a little different? Yeah, in the case of these two most recent Cherry Red boxes, uh, there was, was pretty much, speaking of momentum, there was uh, a lot of apparently decent sales or something. There was... There, it, it, Final Wild Songs box set did very well, apparently, and Cherry Red wanted more. I remember uh, when we were, I had mentioned the tour that we did in California where we played the Roxy and we played uh, Stagecoach. Well, it was a Saturday morning where we got together with a couple of the Cherry Red guys, Sid and I, uh, met at Ray's in Santa Monica, had breakfast and talked about it. I said, yeah, we've got, uh, you know, they mentioned, well, what would you like to do? What would you like to have out? And I said that I would like to have the full set of demos for State of Our Union and for Two-Fisted Tales because they, they tell a tale that's a little different uh, from the release versions. And also a representative, you know, period live show from both of those eras, from the State of Our Union era, from Two Fisted Tales era. And he said, okay, that's three CDs each, and he writes it down. <laughs> I write it down. And, uh, yeah, case closed. And it took a couple of years for him to come out. And uh, it's the kind of thing, box sets, I've noticed when working with labels, and this is no slight or anything, it just takes time. And it's a hurry up and wait kind of thing, where you'll have everything together and you'll listen to all these tapes and you'll make inquiries. Luckily, we found real-to-real -real masters on uh, 
on everything pretty much. Oh wow. On the demos, etc., which is pretty amazing, actually. Wow. We there are jokes where you know the, uh, people should start to start their own agencies to look for for masters because even masters for uh, albums that have come out through the decades just get lost. Yeah, right. let alone live material. Um, the live show, for example. It came out along with the State of Our Union box. I knew it was taped. We all knew it was taped that Encore from Hell was on a flux disc many years ago. So we knew it was recorded, and we figured it wasn't just, you know, they recorded that and shut the, you know, reel-to-reel recorder. And But I we didn't think anything of it because we couldn't find it, and they were looking around for another show that was on a list, which we never found, it found the reels for that uh, Encore from Hell show, the Mean oh, Fiddler sure. show. And listen to it, it's like, this is great, let's put this one out. So we got lucky. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. That's great that you had that that original source material to work with. Yeah. I've heard horror stories about <laughs> yeah. bands going back and... They are. They actually have to buy CDs to master reissues. Yes. So I'm glad that you had source material. Hey Tom, if you don't mind, we wanted to ask you briefly about your solo material. Um, you released several CDs, full length CDs, as well as a few EPs, dating as far back as 1982 for your first solo debut release. That was Points of View, and the most recent release that we're aware of is the 2009 EP Sooner. The sun is falling Full moon is climbing up above the clouds Just to see you alone again Now I feel through my mind Black beauty Can I see you The summer's gone The leaves are bleeding Red upon the ground
Personally, I think is a masterpiece, and it's kind of cool for us that the cover features a piece that was created by our first guest, Lena Vatonwa. So that yes. that's pretty cool. Um, we wanted to ask you what the process is like recording solo material versus recording with a band such as the Long Riders. The solo material, I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. On the other hand, you know, that could be considered a negative. On the other hand, I don't have other people saying, play it this way, play it that way. Um, I, I can pretty much get recorded exactly what I have in my head or pretty close to it. Or if it sounds different, a lot of times it sounds better than what I had expected, what I had heard in my head. And it's a it's a more leisurely process. I have a very small personal uh, studio upstairs in my home, and that's where I did Sooner and the CD previous called Home. Uh, I just go upstairs when I have ideas. Sometimes I don't even have ideas. Sometimes I just pick up a guitar and start playing, kind of like uh, when I wrote the music to what the eagle sees and several songs have come out like that uh there's a song on sooner the how do we feel what's real which is an old long writers well a song that i had submitted uh, for two fisted tales and that is a long writers demo uh that didn't make it to the album but there were a lot of songs that didn't make it to the album written by everybody. So we had 20 songs going in, wow. and I think we had 11 that we actually uh, finished and released. But uh, that was a good one, and I wanted to make sure it was on a solo solo CD. You know, Tom, after our listeners uh, hear, especially about uh, solo recordings, they want to go out and get it. And can you uh, give us and give our listeners a little information about where they can find your solo recordings. Are all of them available and through what venues download or purchase the CDs or 
Where can they find it? Well, everything is available digitally uh, okay. through downloading. Uh, the older ones are out of print, like uh, Points of View. Um, that was a 1982 uh, vinyl EP that came out when I was just a baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jack Watterson produced, uh, he's green on red, he produced Another Room that was uh, out in 95. That one's out of print, so that's an eBay or Discogs kind of thing. But if nothing else, you can go to my website uh, at tomstevens.org. It's uh, kind of old. I need to update that thing. <laughs> but you'll be able to at least see what's available and or contact me through my email, which, by the way, is tom at tomstevens.org. And if you want to order any of those albums, uh, I won't have vinyl. I may not have pressed CDs, but a lot of times what I'll do when I get requests, which I do get still, I will burn them a copy on CD. I don't charge much, and I autograph the CD, so it's you know something personalized. Um, nice. We're gonna... But yeah, I could probably if I if I was rolling in the dough, I would probably have a thousand of each. Uh, you know each solo album that I've done sitting in here in one of my uh, one of my rooms in my house or whatever. <laughs> it's just good to know that we can still get it and that our listeners yes. That's the important part. Yeah, if you're in a hurry, you can download them. If you want hard copies, just get in touch with me. Yeah, so we have the digital version, so Soraya, we're going to have to be contacting Tom and getting these personalized CD versions. Yes. 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 Great. So, Tom, we've learned that you recorded a bunch of music, your solo material, you recorded with the Longwriters. We didn't even mention your band in the 70s, Magi, who put out an album, or all the other sessions that you worked with on stuff like Danny and Dusty with Chris Kakavez, um, with Jack Watterson, like you mentioned, and other stuff. But out of all of the material that you worked on, do you have one particular track that you're particularly fond of? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to choose from. Does anything yeah. stand out in your mind? Well, a few of the solo things that I've done do stand out. The uh, the new album, believe it or not, is maybe it's just because it's fresh in my memory, but I am very proud of that album. And I feel... You know, as part of the band and everything, I feel I'm very well represented and uh, contribute to the sound of the album very much. Um, I always liked the first Danny and Dusty album. That was, um, we did it literally over a weekend, and we just had a blast in a, in a studio in Los Angeles that we were all familiar with. It was the same studio that we later recorded the demos to State of Our Union that's on CD2 of that State of Our Union box set that just came out. So we were familiar with that studio, comfortable. We were all friends. There were new songs. 
uh, and we knew them just well enough to record them well, which is very similar to this new album. It was the same thing. We hadn't played them to death and worked them to death live for a year and and worked with them. Uh, I think we worked for two days on this new album, Psychedelic Country Soul. We, we worked in rehearsal studio for a couple of days with Ed Stacy, but that was it. Besides that, we had enough time to learn them from the uh, demos that we were electronically sending back and forth to one another. And then we hit the studio and went for it after we worked with Ed for those two days. So everything, again, was fresh. And that's, uh, that's the way I like to work. I don't like to uh, massage a, uh, a recording or a song over and over and over for years before we actually hit the studio because it, it loses its meaning. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about uh, this part or that part or th- things that don't necessarily relate to how you're going to put the song across, the recording across to the listener. That's the most important thing. Right. Tom, we've got one last question for you. Okay. And, it, and it relates to the primary focus of our podcast, which is Paisley Underground. Now, the long riders are often associated with the scene, and we wanted to just pick your brain and ask you um, if you wouldn't mind telling us, in your opinion, what the Paisley Underground scene was and, you know, what bands were, were a part of the scene? Like, what was it being, you know, in this large group in L.A. where these new sounds were coming out of? It's, well, it's a, it's a scene that is most prevalent in the press at this point. Uh-huh. Uh, in the 80s, in the early 80s, um, see, I was a latecomer to the scene. I would not call, say, Points of View in 1982 a Paisley Underground record, even though later I joined the Long Riders and went to the same barbecues, started meeting uh, people in Green on Red and the Bangles, and started playing shows at the Rain Parade and and these other bands that are uh, three o'clock that are considered part of the uh, Paisley Underground. It was a social scene. It had to do, as I said, with barbecues and uh, playing at the same gigs, being, uh, and sometimes they were not glamorous gigs. So we all had to hang on for dear life and do the best we could for the people that were in attendance. But that was all right, you know. Yeah. That was how the friendships were born. Um, and those friendships, most of them anyway, do, uh, do survive to this day, which is nice. So when, you know, it, it's not uncomfortable being associated with that scene for the vast majority of the people that are considered part of the Paisley Underground because we all get along. I love that. See? I, I just... I like hearing that reflection because I think it really does encapsulate uh, at least how how us how we as fans envision that. So thank you for that. Yes. 
Jeff, any other questions that you have for Tom since we, we've we've got him for a few more precious minutes? <laughs> no, Tom, I just wanted to ask if there's any last th um, stories or anecdotes that you wanted to share about the new album, Psychedelic Country Soul. Um, that's the main reason that we wanted you on to talk about that. And we slipped in a few extra things, which I appreciate you staying for and answering. But yeah. is there any last last thoughts that you wanted to say on the new album? Yeah, the new album, doing that new album, was just I, I mentioned this before, it was like this happy bubble that we were in. The <laughs> studio was incredibly comfortable. Uh, I had a nice little kitchenette with a, a Keurig coffee machine <laughs> and a sink and everything. In fact, I remember I was putting cream in my coffee and I'm uh, and I heard somebody doing dishes next to me. I look and there's Dr. Dre. It's like, hey, Dre, nice place here. <laughs> Keurig coffee is not the first thing that pops to mind when I think of the chronic master, Dr. Dre. But... Maybe. <laughs> Let alone. Yeah, it is just, um, it, it was a wonderful experience that uh, just happened. Uh, opportunity presented itself and uh, we conspired together and got it got it accomplished yes and it's a great accomplishment we love the album and we did want to thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today we're looking yeah. forward to seeing the band on tour hopefully in the u.s hopefully i'll have a chance to meet up with you guys in italy and we just wanted to wish you guys a great tour and great success the press has been great on this new album and again we just want to thank you for taking time tom to speak with us today it's been a thrill thank Yes, and thank you for letting me be a part of the, the podcast. Again, uh -huh. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much. And once again, to all our listeners, Tom Stevens, go get Psychedelic Country Soul. You need this. You do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you, Tom. We really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks again, Tom. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Thank you. <laughs>